Well, we've spent this month thinking about the, uh, the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us as, we, as we've sung this morning. And, and one of the things that we saw in this month is that in God's mind, Christmas is, is always connected with Easter. The, the reason that Jesus came, the reason that Jesus was sent by God was to bring salvation for his people. The angel told Joseph that he was named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And Jesus did exactly that by dying on the cross and then by being raised on the third day. But between the first Christmas and the first Easter, Jesus lived on this earth. He, he lived on this earth for about 33 years, the first 30 of which were, were mostly in private and unrecorded, but the last three of which are recorded in our four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so in these weeks that we have here between Christmas and Easter, we're going to look at part of Jesus' earthly life. We're, we're going to go from the birth of Jesus to the life and to the ministry of Jesus. And we've already been doing this for the last couple of years from the Gospel of John. And so we're going to pick up Jesus' journey toward the cross today in John chapter 11. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, John 11 contains that event, that really, what is an amazing event, where Jesus raises a man. In fact, it's the, it's the place where Jesus raises a dear friend, a, a beloved friend named Lazarus. It's also a part of Jesus' life when he's getting ever closer to when he'd be hung on a cross. He's, he's drawing closer to doing what he would, was ultimately sent to do by his heavenly Father, namely to atone for the sins of all those who would turn to him in repentance and faith. The Son of God was born in a manger in order to die on a cross. But not, not only to die, but most gloriously then to be raised to life. All that so that our sins could be nailed on the cross, nailed to the cross with him. And not only that, but most gloriously so that we could be raised to new life with him as we are in union with Christ. As we are one with him. And this event in John 11, in a profound way, will foreshadow those great gospel realities of death and resurrection. And we'll hear all about that next Sunday, so you won't want to miss that. But for today, I want us to look at the scene that sets up that amazing resurrection from the dead. It's when Jesus gets the report from some kind of a messenger, what was going on over there in Bethany with his friend Lazarus. And so if you have your Bible with you, or or even if you don't, as Pastor Andrew mentioned, you can use the Bibles in the chairs that are in front of you. I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 11. If you're using those black Bibles and you're not that familiar with your Bible, it's page 897, you'll find John 11. And I just want to read those first 16 verses of that chapter before Jesus gets to Bethany. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Mary, or loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. This is the word of the Lord to us. Like I said, this is the setup to what will come next, when Jesus will make the trek from the east side of the Jordan, where chapter 10, verse 40, told us that he had gone to, and says where many were believing in him there, to the west side at Bethany, where his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. Interesting, actually, that the place where he was on the east side of the Jordan was another town, also named Bethany, so he's going from one Bethany to another one. Of course, Jesus being God already knew what was going to happen, and, and, and he's also got insight of what's going on over there, even as he's speaking here at this other location. And we see some of that there in verse 11, where he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And if you're looking at that text, you have to start to think to yourself, how does he know that? You know, they didn't have texting back then, so he couldn't have just gotten a message. Well, it's because Jesus is also God. But from a human vantage point, these verses give us the background of how Jesus, uh, quote, found out, and how he'd react to that news. But there's more than just the setup to a miracle here in these verses that I read, more than only the background of how Jesus would get from point A to point B. Jesus is teaching his disciples here. In fact, he was always teaching his disciples. He was teaching what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. Mary, Martha, Mary, Martha and Lazarus are over in Bethany, but this scene is just Jesus and his disciples, and we have to remember that. Those are the people that are in this scene, Jesus and the Twelve. And I think Jesus teaches us some things here as well as modern-day disciples of Jesus. There, there are lessons for us in this section, especially as we head into a new, new year, and has how we 
think about, think ahead to how we will follow Jesus in the year of the Lord that is 2018. What struck me when I read this is how Jesus encourages his disciples to come with him. And then the response right at the end. Just look at those words with me, and then we'll go back and look at why we should strive to follow Jesus in 2018. There are three words here that are repeated three times in this section. Three words repeated three times. Twice they come from the mouth of Jesus, and once from the mouth of one of his disciples. They are the words, let us go. First, verse 7. Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, like I said, they're just to the east of the Jordan River in one province, a province called Perea. And after hearing about Lazarus, Jesus says, let's go, let us go. Then, understandably, the disciples resist Jesus a little bit in verse 8. But then down in verse 15, Jesus again says, let us go to him, to, to Lazarus. And then finally, look down at verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. And that right there is the challenge that we all, or at least those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, ought to think about as we now go into a new year. When Jesus says, Let us go, will we resist? Or will we say, let us also go? Regardless of the results, regardless of what following Jesus might entail for us. Do we trust Jesus, not just for our salvation, but do we entrust ourselves to Jesus to such a degree that we will go with him regardless of what that might mean from an earthly perspective? Do we entrust ourselves to Jesus to such a degree that we will go with him, regardless of what that might mean from an earthly perspective? See, following Jesus might entail losses from the perspective of the world. It might entail loss of time, leisure time, discretionary time, as you resolve to spend some of your discretionary time in God's word, or in, as you recommit yourself to, to spending time in church or being involved in a ministry of some kind. It might mean loss of resources, possessions, finances. It might mean loss of relationships even. For those of you that are students or youth, it might mean a loss of friends. It, may, it might mean the loss of possibilities for boyfriends and girlfriends. It might even mean, for some, a loss or at least tension in family relationships. All of that because you choose to follow and to align yourself with Jesus. That was Jesus' challenge for his disciples here. Let us go. Behind all this background stuff about Lazarus was the issue of going back to that area around Jerusalem. They'd just been over there. And the opposition to Jesus, mostly from the religious leaders, was was starting to get pretty intense. Back in chapter 10, verse 31, it says that the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. An incident that's referred to here in those verses that I read. Verse 39 of chapter 10, they sought to arrest him, 
but he escaped from their hands, and he escaped to where we find him here at the beginning of chapter 11. And where he is now, he's safe over there. And not only was he safe, he has, even has some success over there. Chapter, verse 42 says, many believed in him there. Again, brings, us a, brings up another challenge for us in 2018. Will our decisions be determined by our safety or our success? Or will we go with him no matter what? Because we know that ultimate, uh, eternal safety and success are found only in him. When Jesus wants to go back into the fire, so to speak, the disciples were, un- were, were understandably resistant. Verse 8, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again, is what they say? Well, let's look at the whole of this section. The background to this challenge for Jesus' disciples is not unimportant because it brings up the subject of life and death and in connection with that challenge about whether they're going to go with Jesus. The situation that brings about this decision to go back is that word comes to Jesus that his friend Lazarus is sick, seriously sick, on the verge of dying sick. It was Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, that want to make sure that Jesus knows about this. And so they send someone to inform Jesus. That's all in verses 1, 2, and 3. Now for the rest of this section, again, remember that this is just Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus says to his disciples some very interesting even curious things here. Things that maybe had you shaking your head. Definitely would have had the disciples wondering what he was up to. Here's the first one. We'll just skip over verses 4 and 5 for a minute, but look down at verse 6. When Lazarus, it says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? You know, I'm not sure that's what the sisters had in mind when they sent news to Jesus of this. They don't actually say so, but they probably wanted Jesus to drop everything and to get over there ASAP and do something. They had heard all about his raising sick people before, and, and, uh, and so they thought, now it's our brother, it's your friend, hurry up and get over here. But when he heard, he stayed. At least for a little while before he said, let's go. That's curious. Why the delay? Well, we have a couple of hints back in verses 4 and 5. First, we find out that Jesus wasn't somehow callous to their request. Unfeeling. That's why verse 5 is there, to let us know that Jesus loved this family. And verse 4 gives us Jesus' motives, that somehow through this whole thing, it would be for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus is going to do something over there in Bethany that has a much grander purpose. Even though he knows Lazarus would die, he says this illness will not lead to death. It's also curious. But it will lead to glory. God's glory and the Son's glory. So that's one thing that would have been curious to the disciples. Why stay for two days after Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick? Jesus also says something curious down in verse 15. In his divine, all-knowing, 
knowledge, he knows that Lazarus is dead, even though he had just said that this illness will not lead to death. Look at verse 14. And I'll just skip some words here to emphasize how this might sound. Jesus says, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad I wasn't there. Again, you go, it's a curious thing to say. He died, and I'm glad. But the words I skipped there give us the hint. He says, for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there, so that you might believe. All of these actions that Jesus is doing here, and all of these words, are for the purpose of increasing the faith of these disciples. So that they would increase in their resolve to follow Jesus. So they might believe. And in verse 16, we see that that's exactly the outcome. They decide to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. In spite of the fact that Jesus might be stoned, verse 8, and and killed, one of the disciples, Thomas, says, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Speaking of Jesus. Why? Why would he say this? Why would they go? Well, let me extract a few principles from this passage as we, sitting here at the cusp of a new year, think ahead to how this is going to work for us. I I really encourage you to take some time to, yes, reflect on the year behind, but also maybe to put together a few strategies for the year ahead, all toward the purpose of taking your devotion to following Jesus up a notch. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, how is that evident? Would the people around you notice that you follow Jesus? How will your life, how will your habits show that you're willing to follow him regardless of what it might cost, regardless of the possible losses, regardless of what people may think, regardless of what may harm your reputation among men? That last sentence makes following Jesus sound not very rewarding. It makes it sound like following Jesus is, is, a, is a put your nose to the grindstone, a joyless, all sacrifice, no glory kind of business, doesn't it? Well, let me try and help us see that it's not that at all. It is rewarding in the life to come, yes, but also in this life. Following Jesus is a joy-filled pursuit, Following Jesus is worth it. Following Jesus is the most worthwhile way to live. So what is it that makes it worth it to follow Jesus? What in this passage makes Jesus convince his disciples to finally say, let us go, let us also go? Why should you respond if Jesus summoned you with, let us go? Would you go with him? Now, let me just step aside here and just say that I'm talking mostly to believers here when I'm talking about this. But if you're not a Christian, I just want to speak to you for a minute. Just remember that Jesus came, he says this himself, to seek and to save the lost. He might be calling you on this day to turn from heading in the other direction away from him to turn toward him. If you see yourself as a sinner, as someone 
who has broken the law of God. There would be no better way to end 2017 by admitting that you're a sinner and by turning to Jesus and entrusting yourself to him as the one who would die on the cross and take the penalty for your sin. Let this last day of 2017 be your last day of your life without God and the first day of your life following Jesus. Be reconciled to God through Christ and then resolve to follow him. And if that's you, we would love to talk with you and to help you think about what that might look like. For you that are Christians, however, here's what makes it worth it to take your devotion to Jesus up a notch in this next year. The first is that Jesus loves you. We sing that simple truth all the time, right? We, but we see this with, with what Jesus says about these two sisters and their brother. It, it seems obvious that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were more than just friends with Jesus. From a couple of other mentions in the Bible, we could assume that they were already devoted followers of Jesus. And it says in verse 5 that Jesus loved them. Jesus is teaching his disciples here Remember, that's who he's talking to, that he loves his children. And his love for his children moves him to care for his children. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you just need to know that you are loved and that you are cared for by Jesus. Jesus is concerned for you. There's so much we could say about what it means that Jesus loves his children, but here are just a couple First one is that in his love, God will not stand pat if and when you stray from following Jesus, when you start to veer away from him. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. And so because God loves you, he will let you know when you need a bit of a course correction. And sometimes his course correction comes via his divine rod of correction. But he does that, and you need to receive it that way, because he loves you too much to let you walk away. He loves you too much to let you walk away. He disciplines the one he loves. And that goes right along with the second benefit of his love. Because Jesus loves his own, you can know that you are secure in him. Indeed, he assures you that nothing can separate you from his love. Romans 8, 35 and following says, Not tribulation, not distress even. Any of you discouraged? Pressed maybe? Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, nor famine, nor nakedness, nor danger, nor sword. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's a reason for you to unhesitatingly follow Jesus in 2018. Because he loves you, you are secure in his love. The disciples would know that Jesus' love for Lazarus and his sisters is what compelled him to go. And so they go along with him, regardless of what it might mean for Jesus and for them. Well, another reason you can follow Jesus is that Jesus always seeks to glorify the Father. And in this instance, he says that Lazarus' sickness does not lead to death. Now, Lazarus would die, 
But Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Whatever Lazarus would experience, even illness and death, would all be to God's glory. Here's why that's good news in 2018, if you follow Jesus. It's good news because none of us will know, none of us can know now what will happen to us in 2018. Because we still live in a sin-stained world, there is a possibility, a very likely possibility, that you will go through some struggles this year. It might be a financial trial or a relational trial. It might be an illness, whether to you directly, as it was for Lazarus, or to a loved one, like Lazarus was for Martha, Mary and Martha. But Jesus' words here tell us that for the believer... Listen to this. Illness, for the believer, illness does not lead to death, even though we might die. Illness, even terminal illness, and you can name the illnesses, cancer, IPF, ALS, MS, or any other trial for the believer, even, in, even if 2018 is the year that we might see Jesus, is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. I love how Jesus really takes the sting out of death in this whole chapter. Do you notice how many times he calls death sleep? That's what death is for the believer. It's temporary. Sleep from which we will wake up. But this reality that sickness does not lead to death should make us follow Jesus with almost a kind of reckless abandon even through hard times. Yes, trials will put a a damper on things. Trials can sap our strength. But this can give us a renewed kind of courage and resolve that even death is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man is glorified. Ultimately, this should motivate us to follow Jesus because we know that he himself was afflicted and suffered, and even died. But like Lazarus, his suffering does not lead to death, even though it led to death. The suffering of Jesus led to a resurrection. It led to life everlasting. When we follow Jesus, we follow him in his suffering and death, but we also follow him in his resurrection life, abundant life, and all of it to the glory of God. So I just want to end this last message of 2017 by helping us with thinking about what it actually might look like to follow Jesus as kind of the third motivation for following Jesus. When his disciples tried to discourage Jesus from going back to that area around Jerusalem because of all the hostility that was, that was taking place toward Jesus there, he gives kind of a cryptic answer there in verses 9 and 10. Look again at those verses in, in John 11, verses 9 and 10. He says, Jesus answered, when they said, Aren't you going, why are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If someone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. I think just talking about the, the sun there, the S-U-N. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. I think we could 
sort of summarize Jesus' answer there by saying that he's encouraging his disciples to pursue Jesus while they can and on his agenda. It's harder to walk and easier to stumble when there's no light, right? When we can't see. Jesus is making a contrast here with following Jesus and not following Jesus. The day is when Jesus is with them. The night is when he's gone. If we're following Jesus, it's like walking in the day. We won't stumble as his children. Pastor Andrew read that from Psalm 23, right? If we, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. When Jesus is with us, when we're with him, we walk in the light. On the other hand, if we're going our own way, we're in the dark and we are prone to tripping and to stumbling. So the encouragement here is let's travel with Jesus and then let's just see what happens. Here's some ways you can do that better in 2018. Just, just give some very simple ways. I probably mentioned these ways the last message of every year. Um, these ways are simple, but they're not easy. But they are uncomplicated. Here they are. Resolve to read the word of the Lord more. Resolve to pray more. Resolve to be with the Lord's people whenever they meet. Those three ways. Learn from God. Talk to God. Gather with God's people. Like I said, simple. But if we've tried this before, we know it's not easy. There are all sorts of things that are going to distract us, that are going to tempt us, that are going to call for our attention, that will even sometimes seem to be more important than doing those three basic things. So this will indeed take some resolve and maybe even some strategizing on your part. But let me also say that's also why we have each other. Let's help each other with this. Like Pastor Andrew mentioned at the beginning, we've provided some Bible reading plans again this year. and You can find other ones online. Just find one that you're comfortable with. And we've, uh, but like he also said, it's not ultimately important that you read through the whole Bible in, in a year. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you must read through my word in, a, in one entire year. But that's how you know how to, how to follow Jesus because he is the word. So it's just important that you read God's word. That you be in it. You know, read a book over and over again for a, for a whole month. Or read seven chapters for a month every day. Whatever it is, be in God's word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's how you follow Jesus better. And as for prayer, I'd encourage you to pray for and with each other. Uh, we as a church send out prayer requests as they come into our office. If, if you want to be on the, on the prayer chain, just call Sandrell at the office and she'd be happy to... To, to put you on that chain, either by email or through our phone call system that we've got. We have midweek prayer meeting. We have pre-service prayer meeting. A number of our ministries pray together. When you come to ladies' time out on, on Wednesday mornings, they spend some time, some time praying um, for each other and for the needs of our church. But like Bible reading, figure out how to do that better in your private time as well. Again, there are all kinds of resources out there. Books, if you're into... Um, smartphones, there's apps for, the, for that sort of thing to help you as well. And then the church. I think that as Christians, we grossly underestimate the effect of the local church. 
as we, as we effort to follow Jesus. Way too often, I think we have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward church. But following Jesus is why God created the church. He knew that we would just be too weak and too easily swayed to try to follow Jesus on our own. And so we need each other. This is why the Bible strongly encourages us to not neglect to meet together. Bible, prayer, and church. So I would just encourage you, and I'm encouraging myself with these words as well. This is for all of us who are the followers of Jesus that make up Wetaskiwin Mission Church. Prioritize the word of God. Prioritize your prayers to God. And prioritize the people of God. Let us also go with Jesus. And let's see what he will do. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, on this on this uh, last day of, of our calendar year, Lord, we want to pause today to say thank you. We want to say thank you for, just even for your presence, for never leaving us or forsaking us, for always being there through your word, through your people. As we seek you in prayer, you are always there, you listen to us, and so we thank you for that. We thank you for your son, We thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the great gift of salvation. Thank you that you not only saved us, but that you are making us more holy. That you are conforming us into the image of your son. We also thank you this year for all circumstances. For all those things that have taken place in 2017. Good things, difficult things, but circumstances all of which have served to to shape us and to mold us. We recognize that all those circumstances come from your hand. And now as we change our calendars, Lord, we pray that you would help us once again in in the year to come. We, We admit that we don't yet know the circumstances that we will face. For some of us, that, that, that gives us small degrees of anxiety. But Father, we pray that you would help us in this year to to increase in our knowledge and in our love for you. And we ask that you would help us to, to exalt your son and to follow him and to, to await his coming, not idly, but by serving him and by serving the church, the church that he purchased with his own blood. And so on this day, Father, we praise your name. We bless your name. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. As you end this year and as you start the next, my encouragement to you is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.